get woken up by the wind last night. We have outdoor chairs on our deck. And actually, as I was going to sleep, I thought I should secure those. And instead, uh, I woke up every 30 minutes to the sound of them scooting six inches onto the deck. Did I get up? No. I fought through. Uh, before I jump in this morning, we have a couple of uh, our core team who are headed out, and I just want to give them some recognition. We actually have Dan and Rhonda Croft, who have uh, served as elders at Church on the Rock Homer for at least 47 years, um, are, are headed on to the next chapter, a uh, new chapter of ministry uh, outside of Alaska. And then also uh, Michael and Wanda Beard. Uh, Michael has been a board member on our corporate board uh, for a number of years now, uh, serving the the church. In fact, he was our he was my primary primary editor in a recent uh, uh, legal restructuring of our bylaws at Church on the Rock. Michael Beard was tremendously instrumental in helping us smooth that all out. Uh, so, um, they're also off, uh, moving out of state uh, on to the next chapter, but uh, I'm so thankful for your service, uh, for the service of Michael and Wanda Beard. Um, so, could you guys just give them uh, a welcome? <clears throat> We're going to miss you guys. <clears throat> this morning's story is fantastic. Matt actually put together this series that we're in right now. And I'm going to, I'm going to confess something to you. Uh, I've, I've been a student of the Bible for a while now. And this is one of those stories I forgot about. It's right there in the Bible, and I just hadn't, I hadn't paid attention to this little vignette of a story, one chapter of a story, and it's just so, so rich. What we're going to do, uh, I'm going to tell you the story as we've been doing. It's in 1 Kings 22. I may dramatize a little bit, but this story is dramatic enough, it needs very little help. Uh, I'm going to tell you the story, and then we're going to uh, draw some observations from it. It's a story about deception, about being self-deceived. Um, anyone here currently self-deceived? It's a trick question. If you don't raise your hand, you are. <laughs> it's a weird thing, discovering that you've been deceived, right? That you thought something was true that wasn't true. I realized recently I had made up a word in my mind, and I was typing it onto a document, and the, the autocorrect told me that the, the word was incorrect, so I went to look for the correct spelling, and I discovered it's not a word. 
you remember the scene in, in Lord of the Rings where, where Gandalf and the big um, dragon thing? Sorry, I was going to, I almost just said, someone's going to be very disappointed that I don't know the technical <laughs> name. The Balrog. And he says, what does he say? He says, thou shall not pass. Thou, T-H-A-L-L. Am I right? Anyone else with me? Thou shall not pass. No? <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> it's not a word. And I've been to school for a while. The crazy thing about self-deception is you can't see it. And it's in the wisdom of God that only, only, only others, other people, other followers of Christ, other children of God, it's only uh, through them that we come to understand our own self-deception. We actually depend upon each other in that way. There are some things that you will be self-deceived about until you allow someone else to speak truth into your life. So here we go. You ready? Buggle up. First Kings 22. Here's the background. Remember Ahab from last week? Terrible, terrible king. Decided he wanted Naboth's vineyard, his, his garden, his real estate. Naboth wouldn't give it to him, so he pouted. And his wife Jezebel was like, why are you pouting? Just go kill the guy. So they kill him, and they take his vineyard. And God actually says... Um, that uh, the dogs will lick up the blood of Ahab just as they did the blood of Naboth, the man that he had killed. That's bad news. Now, three years had passed without war between Aram and Israel. This is the neighboring uh, people group. Now, in the third year, <clears throat> excuse me, in the third year, Jehoshaphat was king of Judah. So we have two characters that are kings. We have Jehoshaphat and we have Ahab. Ahab is the king of Israel, which is 10 tribes. And Jehoshaphat is the king of Judah, which is the tribe of Judah and Benjamin. Remember, we're in a time in history where the kingdom of Israel had been split into two kingdoms. In the third year of Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, uh, came down to the king of Israel. Now the king of Israel said to his servants, are you aware that Ramoth Gilead belongs to us? That's a neighborhood like Anchor Point. We are hesitant to take it out of the hand of the king of Aram. And so he said to Jehoshaphat, Will you go to battle with me at Ramoth Gilead? And Jehoshaphat said to the king of Israel, Consider me yours, my people yours, and my horses yours. So essentially this is what happened. You have Israel, Ahab. You have Judah, which is Jehoshaphat. And there's this, there's this neighboring territory that they had forfeited. And Ahab says, Hey, I want to get that back. I, I like Anchor Point. I would like to reclaim it. Will you join me? And there's something you need to know, and this is a little uh, context that's important for our story. Ahab is a terrible human being. 
evil to the core. Jehoshaphat is a man of God, an imperfect one, but a man of God nonetheless. And the scripture says that Jehoshaphat made it a goal of his life to follow the Lord. So Jehoshaphat says, consider me yours, my people yours, my horses yours, let's do this together. However, Jehoshaphat said to Ahab, please request the word of the Lord first. Could you do me a small favor? I know that you're evil and wicked, but I like God. Could you consult with him first before we execute this plan? And so Ahab assembled the prophets. About 400 of them, and after assembling... 400 prophets, keeping in mind that a prophet is someone who speaks on behalf of God, he said to them, should I go to battle against Ramoth Gilead or should I refrain? And they all said, all 400 of them said simultaneously, go up. God is going to give it into your hands. That's great. I like consensus. Do you like consensus? But Jehoshaphat asked a question. Um, Ahab, do you have any real prophets of the Lord? that we could ask and by real prophets of the Lord I mean the ones who actually hear from the Lord and Ahab says to him in verse 8 there is one man who truly hears from the Lord and I hate him because whenever he prophesies it's bad news for me and he never has anything good to say his name is Micaiah and there's this phrase in there, and I, I don't entirely understand the thrust of it. I think I have a sense. It says, and then Jehoshaphat said, may the king not say so. The, the sense that I get is that Jehoshaphat's like, hey, no, just let's give it a try. Let's, let's just see what happens. So Ahab says to an officer of his, would you go and find Micaiah? and bring him here quickly. So the officer leaves. Ahab, Jehoshaphat, 400 prophets to find the one prophet who's not there. And it says, now the king of Israel, Ahab, and Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, were sitting, each on his throne, 
dressed in their robes at the threshing floor at the entrance of the gate of Samaria. So they have these portable thrones. They're at the entrance of the gate of Samaria. They're seated. They have all of their royal regalia on. And then it says, and the 400 prophets are prophesying before them. And then enters another important character, a man by the name of Zedekiah. Zedekiah seems to be a leader of these 400 prophets. Zedekiah understands his role and understands that to really sell things, you got to showboat a little bit. And so what does Zedekiah do? Before showing up, he had crafted a set of bullhorns out of iron as a prop in his presentation. And so he's standing before these two kings in their robes with all the other prophets. And he says, you are going to gore the Arameans just like these uh, iron horns. You will destroy them. And all the prophets were prophesying this as well, saying, go up and succeed, for God is going to hand it over to you. Now the messenger, you remember him? The officer that went to get Micaiah? As he's bringing Micaiah back to visit Ahab and Jehoshaphat, he says to Micaiah the prophet, listen, all of the prophets that are already there, 400 of them, they are unanimously speaking in favor of the king. Would you be so kind as to do the same when you get there? And Micaiah says, as the Lord lives, I will say whatever he tells me to. That sounds like a prophet. So Micaiah is brought in before Ahab and Jehoshaphat. And the king, Ahab, says to him, Micaiah, should we go to battle against Ramoth Gilead? Or should we refrain? And Micaiah says, Go. Go to battle. It's going to be great. I, I'm not there in the room to see. This, this is what he tells him. He says, go to battle. You're going to do great. You're going to succeed. And Ahab responds, how many times do I have to make you swear that you will tell me nothing but the truth in the name of the Lord? In other words, I know that you're being sarcastic. I know that you're being funny. I don't want any of that. I want you to tell me the truth. Micaiah says, okay, I'll tell you the truth. I saw 
all of Israel scattered on the mountains like sheep that have no shepherd. And the Lord said, these are people with no master. Each of them is to return to his own house in peace. And Ahab turned to Jehoshaphat and said, I told you. Didn't I tell you? He never has anything good to say. Every time he comes here, he has bad news. He just told the armies to go home. And Micaiah said, that's not all. Let me tell you what's going on behind the scenes. This is what the word of the Lord says. I saw the Lord sitting on his throne And all of the angels of heaven were standing by him on his right and on his left. And the Lord said on his throne in heaven to the angels, who will entice Ahab to go to Ramoth Gilead to destroy him? And one spirit suggested one strategy, another spirit suggested another, and then a third spirit came forward and stood before the Lord and he said, I will entice Ahab to go to Ramoth Gilead to destroy him. And the Lord said, how will you entice him? And the spirit said, I will be a deceiving spirit in the mouths of his prophets and convince his prophets to send him into battle so that he will be destroyed. This is the point in the story where I go, wait, is he allowed to do that? So then, behold, the Lord has put a deceiving spirit in the mouth of all of these prophets of yours. And the Lord himself has declared against you, Ahab, disaster. Remember Zedekiah with the horns? Zedekiah approached Micaiah and smacked him across the face. <laughs> and he asked him, how did the spirit of the Lord pass from me to you? How dare you talk to our king that way? How did the spirit of the Lord pass from me to speak to you? And Micaiah responds, and he said, you will see how on the day when you go from one hiding place to another hiding place in order to save your own life. 
And the king of Israel, Ahab, said, Take Micaiah, take him back to his city, and ask the governor to put him in prison. Tell the governor, put this man in prison and feed him enough bread and water to survive until I return safely. And Micaiah said, if you return safely, then I'm not a prophet. I want to be there, you know what I mean? So crazy. And then Micaiah turns to everyone else and he says, pay attention. That's all he says. Pay attention. Listen up. So the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, went up to battle against Ramoth Gilead. As you can imagine, Ahab's mind is working on him. I really don't like that guy. What if he's right? So Ahab says to Jehoshaphat, I have an idea. I'm going to disguise myself when we go into battle but you don't disguise yourself. <laughs> you wear your kingly robes, but I'm not going to. I'm gonna dress just like, you know, one of the boys. And Jehoshaphat says, okay. <laughs> now, I, this is not part of what we're covering today. If you read the Second Chronicles version of this story, it's the same story in Second Chronicles 18, you'll discover that after these events, a, a different prophet comes to Jehoshaphat and says, you need to stop being so gullible. You need to stop going along with evil people. That's his correction, which is fantastic. Different message, different time. So the king of Israel disguised himself and he went into battle. Now the king of Aram, the guy that they're going up against, told his 32 commanders, the commanders of his chariots, he said, don't get stuck in a skirmish against just whoever you encounter. All 32 of you, I have one target for you. I want you to find Ahab and, and dispatch of him. That's your only assignment. So the 32 commanders, they go into battle with their chariots and they see who? Jehoshaphat, big, tall, shiny crown, flowing robe. And so they attack, believing he's the king of Israel. They turn aside to fight against him and him alone. And it says that Jehoshaphat cried out. And again, if you read the Second Chronicles version, it adds another phrase. It says that Jehoshaphat cried out to God and God rescued him. He saved him from the 32 commanders bent on his demise. When the commanders of the chariots saw that it was not Ahab, they turned back from pursuing him. And then in the midst of the battle, 
one man, a soldier of Aram, drew his bow at random. Not my words, that's in the Bible. At random. This is a guy with no experience. He's in the back of the pack. And it struck Ahab in the seam of his armor and killed him. Ahab said to the driver of his chariot, turn around and take me out of the battle for I'm severely wounded. The battle raged on that day and the king was propped up in his chariot in front of the Arameans and he died at evening. And the blood from the wound ran into the bottom of the chariot and the word passed throughout the army close to sunset saying, every man to his own city, every man to his own country. And so the king died and was brought to Samaria and they buried the king in Samaria and they washed out the chariot by the pool of Samaria where the prostitutes bathed themselves and the dogs licked up the blood of Ahab in accordance with the word of the Lord which he had spoken. That is a brutal story. I almost feel like I just leave it at that, let you do whatever you want with the story. You know what I mean? I mean, it's that kind of a story. I'm going to make three observations from this story. Number one, if you want to be deceived, God will let you. If you don't want to obey and love God, God will allow it. If you want to ignore God's purposes, God will let you. If you want to live a lie, if you want to embrace the deception, God will allow it. He will let you. I actually watched an argument, uh, this was a few weeks ago, uh, made by a, a guy who has a, a, he has a YouTube channel and he's kind of making arguments for atheism. Um, and he said his, his favorite argument is, is the argument that if, if God was really God, then he would have made his instructions more clear. Um, that there would be no confusion or debate surrounding what he has said. And that if he is God, he could have been more clear. He wasn't more clear, so therefore, there is no God. You need to understand that in the wisdom of God, in seeking obedience to the great commandment, which is not compliance, but a heart of love for him. In the wisdom of God, if you want to be deceived, he will allow it. He will let you be deceived. Matthew 13, Jesus responding to the question, why do you speak in parables? 
Should you not be more clear if there's something that you want them to know? And he says, I speak to them in parables because while seeing, they do not see, and while hearing, they do not hear, nor do they understand. And here he's actually quoting the Old Testament prophet. And in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is being fulfilled, which says, you, you shall keep on listening, but you shall not understand. You will keep on looking, but you will not perceive. For the heart of this people has become dull, and with their ears they scarcely hear. They have closed their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their heart, and return, and I would heal them. But blessed are your eyes because they see and your ears because they hear. I actually really wrestle with this principle. And it's a principle regarding the way that God communicates with us. And that is that to the degree that our hearts want to be deceived, he says their hearts have become dull. They've become disinterested in the things of God then I'm going to create the allowance for them to continue to be deceived. I'm going to speak in parables so that they can easily choose not to listen to me. Matt titled his teaching last week, The Ceaseless Voice of God, and he, and he made the claim, and I think it holds up biblically, that God's always speaking. God is declaring who he is on my drive to the high school this morning. Creation itself declares the majesty of God. You can choose to ignore the voice of God, to reject the voice of God, and God in his grace will give you wide allowance to do so. Jeremiah 29, 13 and 14, the beginning, you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all of your heart, and I will let myself be found by you, declares the Lord. Number two, this is so relevant for today. If you want to be deceived, you will find plenty of support. The officer tasked with going to collect Micaiah. So they've got 400 prophets there. They, they're all on the same page. And I have a hunch that Ahab doesn't really want to hear from you because he feels pretty confident that what you're going to say is going to be different than what the other 400 say. So if you could, if you could do me a solid, 
I'll be in your debt. It would be a favor to me personally if you would just agree with everything that's been said already. It would make everything for all of us less complicated. Could you do that for me? Do you think that you could, you could just kind of get on board with what, what we're doing? If you want to be deceived, you will find plenty of support. In fact, if you want to be deceived, you will find very passionate support. I like to sort of place myself in these stories, you know. Imagine I'm Micaiah showing up, and Zedekiah's got iron antlers, thinking, ah, I didn't know we were using props today. Shoot. Uh, can you give me a minute? I want to go get something that I can, you know, add to my presentation. Zedekiah's up there with his iron horns, like you're going to gore the Arameans. It's going to be fantastic. If you want to be deceived, you will find very passionate support. You will find very positive support. What do they all say? Go up and succeed. Why would a loving God want anything other than your success? Go. Whatever's on your heart to do, go and do it. And may you be blessed. If you want to be deceived, you will find very passionate support, very positive support, and you will find very protective support. Ahab doesn't smack Micaiah. Zedekiah smacks Micaiah. How dare you talk to my friend, the king of Israel, in that way? I'm not going to stand by and let you assault him with your bad news. Such a flare, you know, I'm gonna meet Zedekiah. He's really got it like, he's got this thing going. You will find very protective support, why? Because deception is always very difficult to maintain over time. If you're going to hold on to your self-deceptions, you're going to need a lot of support to do so. I find it interesting, and this has been my experience over the last number of years, that people who know the truth about God and then make the decision to reject the truth about God in exchange for our contemporary cultural sexual ethic have an attribute in common, and that is we can be friends as long as you don't question my decision. Why? Deception takes a lot of effort to maintain. Second Timothy 4. For the time will come when they will not tolerate sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance with their own desires, 
400 to 1 at times, and they will turn their ears away from the truth, and they will turn aside to myths. They will turn aside to their own beliefs. Do you understand that according to Paul, speaking to Timothy, the, the, the teachers don't create the deception. The desire for, to be deceived creates the need for teachers that align. You see that? They will, they will gather to themselves teachers in accordance with what they've already determined they want to hear. If you look out at the world, at the culture we live in, and if you identify any, any false message or anything contrary to the will of God, understand that that's the product of the culture's rejection of God, not the cause. Number three, if you want to be deceived, your path will be a painful one. I've entitled my teaching, The Incontrovertible Voice of God. Incontrovertible meaning, regardless of your response to it, the Word of God does not change. Your deception, your self-deception will have no impact on God's capacity to accomplish His perfect purposes on His perfect time frame. Your self-deception will not slow down or deter the plan and purposes of God. Isaiah 55, for as the rain and the snow comes down from heaven and do not return there without watering the earth, making it produce and sprout, and providing seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so will my word, which goes out of my mouth, it will not return to me empty without accomplishing what I desire and without succeeding in the purpose for which I sent it. While your self-deception will have no impact on God's capacity to accomplish His perfect purposes, your self-deception will profoundly impact the way you experience God's purposes. Two kings in battle, side by side. Who is God against? Evil. Who is he for? Righteousness. Two kings, one of them dressed in his costume with 32 commanders coming at him bent on his personal destruction. The prayer of a righteous man, Lord, would you save me now? And he's rescued. Meanwhile, Ahab, in the same battle, towards the same outcome, has disguised himself for his own security, and then some hoo-ha at random, <laughs> and Ahab's taken out. 
You remember, God's battle is against evil. If you align yourself with sin and evil, if you align yourself with pain and suffering, the way that you experience the purposes of God is going to be different than the one who has aligned themselves with the goodness of God. Galatians 6, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever a person sows, he will also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will reap destruction from the flesh. The one who sows to the Spirit will reap eternal life from the Spirit. Your self-deception will profoundly impact the way you experience God's purpose. Rob and Laura, you guys can go ahead and make your way up. If you want to be deceived, your path will be a painful one. Understand, there is an enemy of your soul committed to your destruction, and your self-deception is necessary in the plan for your destruction. You track with that? There is an enemy of your soul committed to your destruction, and in order to get to that goal of your complete destruction, Deception is the necessary pathway. That's how he gets there. John 10, 10. Thief comes for what purpose? To steal, to take everything that you have, to kill, to end your life, and to destroy. I don't even know what, what destroy means after stealing and killing, but that's the enemy's intention. And how does he get there? Deception. It's been his plan, it's been his strategy from the beginning of time. I want to end with this. Do you know why God is so opposed to the deceptions that destroy you? because he is for you. Because he loves you. Ahab avoided the word of God because he did not believe that God's intentions for him are good couldn't accept it. I don't believe it. If there is going to be goodness in my life, it will be of my design, not his. It's deceived. Here it is. Matthew eleven twenty eight. One of my favorites. Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. There are some of you in this room right now who are still holding on to a lie, holding on to your own deception. And you know you should let go, and something in you wants to let go, 
You don't know how to let go. And your vision of God is him there at a distance, arms crossed, waiting for you to figure it out. Get it together, Aaron. I would suggest that before you figure any of it out, that you would respond to this invitation. Come to me. Come to me. Aren't you exhausted? Aren't you weary? Has the burden become too much? Are you tired? Come to me. And let me tell you what you're going to find. You will find a great relief, a rest for your soul. Why? Because you will discover in coming to me that I will be gentle with you. You will discover in coming to me that I'm not going to take my will and beat you across the head with it. If you want to be deceived, I will let you. But if you want to come to me, I will be humble towards you. What a good God. God, I pray for an abundance of grace for the one here in this room right now who's just teetering on the fence of, of, of confidence, of courage to say yes to you, unequivocally yes to you. God, would you, would you shine the light of your truth into the darkness that so often and so easily seems to consume our souls? Your word says that, that light overpowers darkness, and so we trust that your truth, your word, your spirit will overpower the lies that we've believed truly will set us free. I'm going to take a few moments now to respond to the Lord in worship. There's a few ways that you can do that. We'll have some of our leaders over here. If you would like prayer for any reason, they would love to pray with you. It's an opportunity for you now to respond to the Lord through worship, through praise. You can give during this time. You can also take communion, remember his sacrifice. Well, let's stand together and, and, and come before the Lord together. And I would invite you to, to respond to him and to hear from him. Aaron, thank you so much for sharing. Um, as always, I want to encourage you guys, if the Lord's moving on your heart, uh, now is the time to act. Now is the moment that he's given an invitation to you to say yes. Whether that means getting prayer after, grabbing a friend, calling someone up, uh, take the moment and say yes to the invitation from the Lord this morning for you. Um, uh, I do want to say this upcoming weekend, uh, we have on Saturday our camp work day in preparation to get the, the, the camp area ready. 
out on the North Fork so that this coming Sunday we have our first church picnic together after the service. That's right, for Father's Day. It's going to be a blast. So put that on your calendar. If you're planning to uh, come out and help out, you can find information for the workday for this Saturday, and then we'll have our picnic together uh, on Sunday, which will be great. Um, Teardown this morning looks a little different because we're in summer, which means the kids' stuff is getting tucked to some different places. But we don't officially end at 1230, so if you guys want to hang out for a bit, help tear down, say hi to a few people, that would be great. God bless you guys as you go into your week. See you later.